Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, last week we had that legislative deadline known as the first funnel. Uh, In the final days uh, before that deadline, um, lawmakers took up over 100 bills and subcommittees. And that is how a bill survives the funnel, by gaining approval in committees. Some were approved last week, some in the weeks uh, prior to that. There are exceptions, but generally speaking, those bills that didn't gain approval from a committee are no longer viable to advance this session. This hour, all about which bills have survived the funnel and which have died. Joining me, three journalists who are focusing, uh, who focus their activity at the at the State House uh, each and every day. Kathy Obradovich, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Iowa Capital Dispatch. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Thanks for having me, Ben. Katie Aiken with us as well, politics reporter with the Des Moines Register. Hi, Katie. Hey, Ben. Happy to be here. Katarina Sestarek, of course, of IPR, our state government reporter. Hi, Katarina. Hi, Ben. I want to invite you listeners uh, to join us this hour. We have so many things to talk about. Perhaps you would like to direct our attention to a bill that survived or didn't survive the funnel that captured your attention. one 780 9100 1-866-780-9100, or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Perhaps you have a question about a bill you've heard about in the news. This is the perfect time to do it. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, carbon uh, capture pipeline uh, uh, proposals, uh, bills uh, having to do also with child labor, public assistance, uh, that uh, big government overhaul proposed by the governor, health care bill, another big bill, fentanyl in a bill as well. So much to get to. We'll hope to touch on all of it to to some degree. Uh, But first, uh, let's start off uh, with what has, I guess, arguably been center stage, at least in the past few weeks, if you would say perhaps the entire session, if I can turn to you, first of all, uh, Kathy Obradovich, um, this LGBTQ youth education, gender identity. What did I read somewhere? A couple dozen different proposals during this session. Uh, Give us sort of the length and breadth of what's been happening in that area in terms of proposals. Yeah, Ben, it has taken a lot of attention at the State House, and it really starts with the governor. She, in her condition of the state message, called for uh, measures, including um, restricting library books in schools, um, dealing with, um, in particular, a policy that we saw at Lynn Marr High School in eastern Iowa, um, addressing um, gender affirmation policies at that at that school district, um, including allowing children to change their pronouns and um, to have a gender uh, affirmation policy without informing their parents. And that that exclusion of parents has been a huge flashpoint um, that has got uh, groups like Moms for Liberty, which is uh, their sort of a parental rights group that is operating nationwide. Um, they uh, came into Iowa big time, and uh, a lot of these other proposals have, 
I would say, you know, kind of snowballed off of those two original uh, ideas of the governors. Mm-hmm. Katie, pick us up with some, pick up some of the other other ones here. We have the bathroom bill. Wow, how many years ago did we first talking start talking about bathroom bills and um, across the country, right? Definitely. Well, that's one of the things that's interesting about this session is it's not the first time we're seeing some of this come up at the Capitol, but it is the first time that we're seeing some of it start to really get moving. Uh, So like you mentioned, there's a few bills that are still alive after the funnel that would restrict um, which bathrooms a a transgender student could use at a public school. Uh, They would not be allowed to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity, uh, but rather would be restricted to using a single-user bathroom or the one that aligns with their biological sex. Um, We'd seen that before, but this is um, notable that it's made it through the funnel this year. Yeah, and Katie, perhaps expand on the, the bill that's still alive, I understand, that would ban gender-affirming care. This is away from schools for transgender minors. Yeah, so this actually came a little later in the session. You know, some of these bills we were following from the very first week, uh, it was just the week before funnel, so less than two weeks ago, uh, that Republican leaders suggested that they were interested in banning gender-affirming care for minors. Uh, This is something we've seen in other states. Uh, Gender-affirming care refers to Uh, puberty blockers, which can delay the onset of puberty, uh, hormones like estrogen or testosterone, or in some cases, surgery. Um, Republican leaders suggested that they might be interested. And then lo and behold, a few days later, the both chambers introduced a bill on the topic. Uh, It would restrict all of those gender affirming treatments for transgender kids under 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, That bill came up last week and made it through committee in both chambers last week. So it is still alive, and we expect to see it uh, continue to be a, a focus as the session goes on. Right. And Katie, just just put that in some national context. Um, other Republican-led states doing similar things. Florida comes to mind, for instance, right? Yeah, I believe that there's legislation like this in Florida. I mean, we first started seeing this a year or two ago. Uh, at first, it was just a few scattered states who are interested in banning this kind of care. Uh, This year, we've seen far more uh, Republican-led states uh, propose similar bills. And some states have gone even a little bit further, hoping to restrict gender-affirming care for young adults uh, up until they're their uh, early 20s. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah. And, and these bills uh, uh, concerning LGBTQ um, issues uh, awakened many uh, people. We had the thousands of Iowa high school students over, what, three dozen different high schools across the state last Wednesday left school in their planned walkouts to protest. Uh, these bills advanced. Uh, uh, also, uh, we had yesterday a rally. Uh, Katerina Sestarek, uh, you reported on that for Iowa Public Radio. I want to hear a clip from something, but uh, give us a t- tell us uh, what was the the scene like at the Capitol uh, among these hundreds or, or perhaps uh, over a thousand uh, protesters. Right. Organizers estimate that there were about two thousand people there outside the State House yesterday. Um, you know, people waving rainbow flags and having all kinds of signs in support of LGBTQ rights. And um, they were just, all the speakers were just saying, you know, that they feel hopeful based on just how many people have been coming out to support LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ Iowans, but they're just very concerned about all these anti-LGBTQ bills that have been moving forward in the state legislature. Um, And advocates were just calling on people to keep fighting these bills and um, keep letting lawmakers 
lawmakers know that they oppose them. One of the speakers was uh, Carlisle High School junior Rebecca Schertz, uh, who has spoken publicly to Democratic lawmakers in support of the book Gender Queer and other frequently challenged books. Now, uh, here's, here's a bit of a clip from yesterday's rally. Schertz read a quote from Governor Reynolds. Uh, I guess this is a, a quote from Governor Reynolds when she, remember when she responded to the State of the Union address in 2022, she stated evidently in that address, you shouldn't have to wake up every morning and worry about the next thing the government is going to do to you, to your business, to your children. Uh, and this is Rebecca Schertz responding to that quote here. Iowa High School junior Rebecca Schertz protesting yesterday at that rally. Uh, at uh, She's from uh, Carlisle High School. Join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100, River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Now, Democrats saying this LGBTQ legislation that Republicans are advancing uh, comes from a national uh, playbook, right-wing playbook, uh, doesn't reflect the opinion of Iowans. But I, I wonder, Kathy, can you give us what Republicans are arguing uh, here, responding to concerns of parents, right, uh, and and concerns of other constituents? Yeah, I, I think that uh, when you look at the people who came and spoke to lawmakers at public hearings or subcommittee meetings, um, a lot of them um, were people who had first gotten um, activated, I would say, by the COVID-19 pandemic <clears throat> and the fact that schools were keeping kids out of school. Um, this is the next thing. Um, and uh, these parents uh, are um, upset that at the idea that their kids could start transitioning socially at school uh, without them being notified. I think that was, again, a flashpoint uh, for these parents um, and sort of that activated this discussion. And like I said, I think it's ballooned from there. I think we also may have found, uh, at least for this year, the limit of this type of legislation. Lawmakers uh, have introduced measures to try to roll back uh the legalization of same-sex marriage mm -hmm. in Iowa. Um, I would argue that that was a bridge too far. Uh, neither of those, neither of those measures, made it um, through the committee deadline, and they were they were introduced late. Um, but I, I think that that is something that. You know, even the governor has said she believes that settled law. So I would be kind of surprised if, if yeah. the legislature went further uh, along that route. Yeah, we have a, just over a minute before we go to break. Somebody may, may be puzzled the, that, uh, first, how many Republicans supported that rollback of uh, same-sex marriage um, in the state? And, and why would you do that when the, Iowa, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has said since 2015 in Obergefell that's fine? 
I think there were eight co- Republican co-sponsors on each bill. Not the same eight, but mm-hmm. mostly the same eight. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff has to do with making a political point as opposed to trying to make policy. Um, I would guess that uh, the folks that signed on to this bill didn't necessarily think it would advance, um, but it gives them something to tell uh, their conservative constituents that they're working on this issue. Okay, we'll be back and to talk about uh, more of the bills that survived the first funnel deadline at the Iowa legislature. You just heard Kathy Obradovich of Iowa Capital Dispatch, where she's editor-in-chief. Katie Aiken is with us of the Des Moines Register and uh, Katarina Sestarek of IPR. If you'd like to join our conversation, we're going to be talking about some other things, not just the LGBTQ-related bills advanced by Republicans. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll also talk about the carbon pipeline legislation, public assistance, uh, the government overhaul that the governor would like as well. Join us if one of these bills attracts your attention or you have a question about it. 1-866-780-9100, River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Back in a moment. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at desmoinesmetroopera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. We're so glad you're with us on this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer, sort of halfway point in the 2023 legislative session, and uh, we're taking stock. It happens to be just after a legislative deadline known as the first funnel in which um, the bills have to have, with some exceptions, have to have made it through a committee or subcommittee in order to, so to speak, stay alive uh, for this session. Uh, Katarina Sestarek of IPR with us, Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register, and Kathy Obradovich of Iowa Capital Dispatch. So glad you're on board as well. Join us, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. As we finish up this section, there's so much to get to aside from the uh, LGBTQ related bills here, but we do want to finish up on that. Let's uh, uh, get a response to Gary in Davenport. He, he writes in an email, the bills that survive the funnel that are anti-LGBTQ and banned books, how likely are they to survive court challenge if they become law? And he asks, are these bills just for show, to please a political base, given polls indicating these bills are unpopular? Katie Aiken, what can you say to Gary? Well, Um, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know if I can give him a full (laughs) answer. Um, I would say, you know, legislators seem really serious about these proposals. They're not just doing it to score points. I don't think they're just doing it for show. Um, It seems like they really would like to get many, if not most of these, all the way across the finish line. Um, As for court challenges, I mean, we can definitely expect them to be challenged in court, but it's difficult to say exactly which would 
uh, stand after a court challenge and which would ultimately be blocked by the courts. Mm. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Yeah. Kathy, you on board with that assessment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think um, Katie's absolutely right that we will see a variety of challenges. I mean, a lot of these uh, bills raise First Amendment issues, for example, um, and sometimes it can be hard to predict um, how courts will treat some of those issues. Um, but we're also talking about, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, parental control over minor children. And in those cases, I would guess the court will probably give a lot of leeway to parents. So, um, But we'll have to see what happens. I mean, a lot of these bills uh, aren't across the finish line yet. But I also agree with Katie that lawmakers seem pretty serious about getting them, getting them over to the governor's desk. Okay, let's go to our callers. Um, First caller from Algona, Paul. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I wanted to get it out there uh, to listeners. Just this sums up the uh, spirit in which all these bills are being crafted. Now, I don't know if this bill, I'm hoping it didn't survive the funnel. I don't think it did. But there exists a bill at some point in Iowa here that aims to strike gender identity from the Iowa Civil Rights Bill. Now, B, that's an egregious overreach, obviously. That's, you know, going beyond anything, you know, that would effectively legalize, you know, uh, discriminating people from jobs based on gender identity, based on, you know, from housing, mm -hmm. et cetera. And uh, I think that perfectly surmises the uh, spirit in which, uh, all these bills are being crafted. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. Paul and Algona, thank you very much. Kathy, what can you say to Paul there? I think Paul's right that that bill did not make the deadline, um, but um, but it is not the first time we have seen legislation like this. And, um, you know, a lot of the bills, as Katie mentioned, um, lawmakers have tried over and over again. And um, eventually, in this case, we've got a big enough Republican majority that a lot of these bills are advancing further. So just because a bill didn't make the funnel, um, there's a lot of ways to revive them yet this year. Um, but I think also uh, we are likely to see them again. So um so I don't draw major conclusions based on, you know, whether one bill passed or not. Mm -hmm. Let's go to one more call uh, for now. Chris in Des Moines. Welcome to the pro program, Chris. What's on your mind? Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering, um, with, the, with some of these bills that are the, the Republicans are ramming through, um, uh, they're very uh, discriminative, very, uh, and it also shows the uh, bigotry of the Republican Party, which has not been dealt with or uh, uh, to deal with their bigotry on some of these bills. That does not come out. The politicians do not get called uh, uh, to the table mm -hmm. to ask them about their bigotry. Chris, uh, yeah. uh, my, my whole thing is how can these folks be for everybody? And that's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be for everybody. Okay. But how can you be yeah. for everybody when, if, when you're already against a certain group 
of people. Chris, thank you very much in Des Moines. I guess, Kathy, is this a way to put, you know, another way to put what Chris has as a concern? Is this recognized by both parties as, as a civil rights issue? I don't think that both parties really do see this as a civil rights issue. Um, that's definitely how uh, Democrats would frame it. Um, but I think a lot, especially a lot of these education bills are being framed by Republicans as uh, parents' rights, mm -hmm. first of all, and second of all, um, as a way to sort of protect children in some roundabout way. Like uh, the, the bathroom bills, for example, get framed as, you know, the idea that somehow um, that they're opening the door to sexual assault if you have people of both sexes using the same bathroom, for example. And uh, there, there's really no documented incidents of, of any of that kind of thing happening in Iowa, but that, that is sort of like the phantom fear that gets, that gets put out there as a way to try to suggest that this is about protecting kids. Mm -hmm. Let's move on uh, from that uh, very controversial topic, which has consumed a lot of time in Des Moines, also <laughs> in our news media uh, coverage as well, uh, warranted, uh, not to say it isn't. Let's move on to s so many other topics here. Uh, Katerina Sestarek, uh, also uh, filled with controversy, these carbon capture pipelines. Uh, tell us about uh, those, uh, whether they survived w and in what form. Um, well, a bill that would restrict the use of eminent domain for carbon capture pipelines did survive this deadline. Um, there's a bill in the House, and um, it would put a bunch of different restrictions. It would require owners of 90% of the land in a carbon pipeline's path to agree to the pipeline before eminent domain could be used. Um, it would also be um, the state would be prevented from issuing a permit for construction until there's new federal safety standards in place and, and a whole bunch of other requirements. Um, this has been very controversial because, you know, Republicans are typically pretty aligned with um, agricultural and ethanol interests, and even those are not really <laughs> one yeah. and the same with this bill. Um, you have the Iowa Farm Bureau supporting this bill, and you have renewable fuel interests <laughs> opposing this bill because they're saying the pipelines are needed to keep the ethanol and biofuels industries afloat um, and to keep them um, thriving. And so... Um, this is something that, again, had enough Republican support to pass out of a committee last week, but it's not really clear what the path forward is because there are some Republicans who oppose it in the House. Um, Democrats have been opposing the bill, and then it's not really clear what the path would be in the Senate. And Governor Kim Reynolds has been a pretty big supporter of, of the pipelines, um, and she hasn't said, you know, um, if she would support any yeah. of these measures. And there were public hearings, um, public meetings held at all in, in all the counties that would be affected. You know, we've been reporting on that for at least a couple of years. Kathy, uh, you, your read on this, it is such an interesting issue, isn't it? Because we have strange bedfellows, to put it in in, in a phrase, as uh, just outlined by Katerina Sestarek. Yeah, a lot of this comes down to property rights. And typically, you would have property rights being a, a pretty bedrock issue for Republicans. Um, but with eminent domain, as Katerina mentioned, um, for, for what is essentially a private, uh, uh, you know, business uh, that wants to come through people's property, um, people could be forced to sell easements for the to these companies, you know, through their farm fields, etc. Um, that, um, you know, eminent domain has long been allowed for public projects like your, you know, your electric utilities or your rural water. 
Um, but uh, this is this is a private company, and there are millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here. So, um, you know, what the what the proponents are arguing is that this is to a public benefit because the ethanol industry is important to Iowa, and uh, ultimately, this is supposed to be a carbon capture thing that's good for the environment. So, um, plus, the Biden administration is giving out, you know millions and millions of dollars in tax credits uh, for this type of activity um, because it's environmentally, uh, you know, supposed to be good for the climate. So so uh, there's a lot of high stakes uh, on all sides of this issue, and it's it's not going to be clear cut how it's going to come out. Yeah, with that 90 percent threshold there for voluntary agreements, Kathy, that seems to be pretty high. Would, I mean, if such passage sort of doom these proposals? I think so. I mean, these, uh, you you have people who no amount of money um, will persuade them to allow pipelines to come across their land. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in fact, I've seen some of the offers that these pipelines are, are giving to homeowners or landowners, and they're they're pretty generous. I mean, th- there are there are folks I think that want a little bit more assurance on, uh, you know, who's going to pay for damages and what the access will be going forward, and and the small print. But the fact is that um, there's just a lot of people out there who are saying, you know, over my dead body, and you're never going to persuade them regardless of how much money there is. So I think 90 percent is is a pretty high threshold. Yeah. If you just joined us, we're talking about the, the bills that survived and didn't the first legislative um funnel deadline of last week with Kathy Obradovich of Iowa Capital Dispatch, Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register, and Katerina Starek of Iowa Public Radio. Join our conversation. If you have a specific question about a bill you've been hearing about in the news, one 780 9100 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Katie Aiken, I want to hear from you about, um, well, there's so many facets of this. The governor's a reorganization bill, overhaul, it's called as well. Uh, I don't know what aspects uh, you've been covering there, but what's, what's your read and, and how is it moving forward past this first legislative funnel deadline? Yeah, so that bill's been really interesting. Um, the governor at the very beginning of the session said she was interested in streamlining Iowa's state government. Uh, she wants to take it down from 37 uh, cabinet-level agencies to just 16. Um, obviously, doing something like that requires a lot of detail work in deciding where everybody is going to go and what departments are going to merge with other ones. Uh, She released a bill. It's over 1,500 pages long. Uh, When you load it on the website, it usually takes a couple minutes. Hmm. Um, So because the bill is so gigantic and because uh, its ramifications would be so far-reaching, lawmakers had an hours-long subcommittee process. Uh, Most bills get 30 minutes or an hour Uh, in subcommittee. These bills got about seven hours in each chamber. Mm. Um, So lawmakers really went through the bill uh, in great detail. And during that process, there were a number of agencies who essentially said that, you know, the bill would uh, hurt their mission. It could, you know, hurt a subgroup within a subgroup within an agency. Mm. Uh, So now lawmakers are 
uh, considering some amendments to that massive bill. But it's hard to say at this point exactly what is going to be changing. Mm -hmm. Darcy, one of our uh, listeners, writes, the proposed changes that have been touted as money-saving measures. What estimates of the technological costs have been presented? I have worked for insurance companies which have merged. The cost of merging platforms is not an easy, inexpensive process. Uh, Kathy, let me get your read on whatever aspect you choose of this government reorganization or or the the, the huge bill as a whole. Yeah, the governor has said that uh, they estimate the that this reorganization would save Iowa taxpayers about $215 million over the course of four years. Um, but we haven't seen what all goes into those numbers and what, you know, what costs they have um, accounted for. I mean, you know, just we've already seen um, two big agencies merge in Iowa, the Department of Public Health and the Iowa Department of Human Services. And um, I'm sure it, it would be interesting to see. I mean, just changing the stationery costs money, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, you do have aspects. So, for example... Um, the Board of Regents would no longer be over the um, uh, Iowa School for the Deaf and uh, and the Iowa uh, site-saving sa- site uh, mission of the state. Um, and uh, you, when you move people from the Regents uh, to another state agency, now you've got differences in salary. Uh, you've got differences in their... Um, the retirement benefits. You've got you've got lots and lots and lots of technicalities, and not all of those things are going to be spelled out in these bills. So, uh, I think lawmakers uh, do have some idea that this is going to save money, um, but I think we still have to look at the accounting of costs that go along with that. Katarina yeah. Sestarik, anything to add to those comments by, by Katie and Kathy? Yes. Well, in addition to just the overall reorganization of these state agencies and and merging things or moving them to different departments, there's a lot of policy changes in this bill, too, that have been kind of coming out as lawmakers go through it. Um, The governor under this bill would have more power to fire agency heads and to set their salaries without having um, limits that are currently in the law on their salaries. Currently, she can give bonuses, um, so I, it's not that clear sometimes what their salaries are, but this would make it so that she could just decide. Um, and then it would also give more power to the attorney general, who is now a Republican after this last election. Um, and it would give the attorney general exclusive power to prosecute election-related crimes, taking that power away from county attorneys. And the bill also says that the attorney general can intervene in county attorneys' prosecutions of any crimes. But there's some disagreement on whether that is existing law or whether that would change the current law. Um, but either way, um, those are just some examples of some you know different policies that would be changing in this bill. Katie Aiken, uh, you know, pr- changing the prosecution of the election-related laws. Of course, that strikes a note, a national note, ever since the country experienced. Uh, January 6th and its um, aftermath. We only have a few seconds here, but I wonder if you'd like to comment on that part. Sure. I mean, Iowa, you know, there's been no evidence of uh, election fraud or issues here. Uh, The Secretary of State has said that consistently. And even though we have Republican majorities, there's not a ton of appetite in Iowa for some of the um, skepticism and questions around elections that we've seen in other Republican-led states. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we'll be back in just a moment with more comments uh, from our State House journalists on board. Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register, Kathy Obradovich of Iowa Capital Dispatch, and our own Katarina Sestarek. Uh, and if you'd like to join our conversation, point to a bill to find out if it's still alive after this first legislative funnel. 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. River to River back. I'm Ben Kiefer in just a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Back with more River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer, and taking a look at some of the bills that Iowa legislators have moved through subcommittee and committee processes leading up to the first funnel deadline, which was uh, last week. Katarina Sestarek of IPR with me, as well as Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register, Kathy Obradovich of uh, Iowa Capital Dispatch, uh, uh, three journalists who uh, each and every day are focused on uh, State House and what an active session it's been uh, so far. I want to move on and make sure we don't get out and leave any critical pieces out of our discussion here. Let's talk. Uh, we just talked about the massive uh, governor, government reorganization bill uh, that's uh, being proposed by the governor. Let's talk about health care. That's also a, a, a big bill, isn't it, Kathy Obradovich? Yes, and the governor has uh, proposed some significant policy changes, um, including trying to deal with rural health care access shortages. So, um, you know, she wants, uh, she's got legislation aimed at, you know, trying to help provide specialized care to underserved communities, um, funding uh, OBGYN training fellowships to address shortages of maternal health care, especially in rural communities. Um, she wants to add um, funding to crisis pregnancy centers, which are essentially anti-abortion services uh, for unwed parents. Um, and there are there is controversy over that. Um, opponents say that the pregnancy centers advertise themselves as being health care providers when, in fact, they don't have medical uh, providers. Um, and uh, an interesting proposal um, as part of her, she proposed a huge omnibus bill. Um, one proposal in there would have uh, allowed over-the-counter hormonal birth control access. This is something that she has proposed before. It didn't go through. Um, and now it looks like uh, that part of the bill is probably uh, going to have problems between the House and the Senate. So mm-hmm. um, so she's not getting everything she asked for, just almost everything. So, so back to just, just clarify that, uh, Kathy, the over-the-counter birth control access, does that go against the grain of what uh, some Republicans in Iowa and across the country have wanted here? The, there are definitely some <clears throat> some anti-abortion activists who spoke against that aspect of the bill. Um, they argue uh, not 
based on fact, I would say, argue that there are dangers associated with hormonal birth control. Um, that would be, that has been always kind of uh, the fringe of the abortion argument that hormonal birth control um, somehow um, goes against the um, life at conception principle. Um, and so you definitely have that uh, coming out here in this discussion. Uh, I mean, the, the governor's position, uh, and she has talked about this, is, you know, that she believes that um, that ha having tools for fam family planning is a way to uh, prevent unwed um, or unplanned pregnancy. And mm -hmm. so uh, making birth control easier to access um, over the counter is, is one way that uh, that other states have done this, and she is uh, has been on board with this for a, at least several years. Mm -hmm. Katie Aiken, anything to add to that on that other big bill? Yeah, I would just note that you know Iowa Republicans have, uh, including the governor, have said that they are interested in uh, further restrictions on abortion in Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, currently uh, Iowans can receive an abortion up to about twenty weeks of pregnancy. Um, there's a court battle going on right now over that, and Republican leaders say that they're waiting for that court battle to end before they take more legislative action. So um, the program that Kathy mentioned that would put more funding towards crisis pregnancy centers, Republicans are framing that as sort of a um, you know step on abortion and a, a step towards putting more resources towards women who maybe will be giving birth when they might not have been otherwise. So yeah. no no real legislative action on abortion this session thus far uh, because we're waiting on that court battle is the well, only thing I would add. Was there a specific bill here, Katie, that did not make the funnel that was a full ban on abortion in the state? There was, Ben. Um, so there was a bill that some Republicans proposed uh, similar to the ban on same-sex marriage. Um, it wasn't the entire Republican caucus. It was not supported by the leaders, but they proposed it soon before the funnel deadline. Um, that did not move anywhere because Republican leadership wants to wait until that court battle ends before they take more action. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's move on to some other uh, bills advancing here. Uh, Katerina Sestarek, can I have you outline for us um, some changes that are proposed in law concerning child labor? Yeah, Republicans in the House and Senate have um, slightly different versions of this bill that they've advanced um, that would expand the hours that minors can work, and it would also expand the jobs and tasks that they could do. So the state education department director and the workforce development directors could waive current prohibitions on teens having certain jobs um, if they're in an approved work-based learning program. Um, and one of the um, one of the aspects of this that Democrats took issue with would allow 16 and 17 year olds to serve open alcoholic beverages, um, which is not allowed under current law uh, for people under age 18. Um, and overall, this is something that Republicans are saying this is going to give you know teens the ability to have a job or work longer hours if they want to, um, or to gain workforce skills in certain areas that they're interested in. Um, but Democrats are saying that, you know, this could put kids in danger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Kathy or Katie, anything, any comment on these child labor law proposals? This is, Iowa's not the only state that's taking a look at this, and I think that this stems out of 
uh, a pretty severe workforce shortage that lawmakers have been trying um, for a number of years to address uh, a lot of the governor's policy proposals, um, even in education, have uh, been centered on skills training uh, for the workforce. So, um, and I would just add a, another bill uh, related to workforce that is highly controversial is cutting un unemployment benefits for Iowa. Um, the legislature has done this uh, already, and now they're they're proposing even more. Um, uh, restrictions on unemployment benefits. Uh, one of the one of the ones that I think will be very controversial is um, unemployment. Unemployed Iowans with with more than three kids would see a cut to benefits for dependents. So, um, and that bill did make the funnel, and it is moving forward. I wonder if this at all this child labor proposals uh, related all to you know we had years ago. The controversy over raising the minimum wage uh, in counties in Iowa, in certain municipalities, and uh, certainly our state government have a reaction to that. Does this figure in at all there in that con larger context? I don't know that we are just it, with this particular bill. I don't think we're having that discussion about minimum wage. Certainly, uh, Democrats continue to advocate for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that uh, we're part of also what we're seeing is uh, lawmakers trying to crank down on public assistance mm. um, for, you know, including for working Iowans, um, trying to cut the kind of assets that they can have in order to qualify. Um, and we, you know, a lot of us heard about um, an initial effort to cut down even on bagged salads and certain meat that you could get um, through SNAP, which is the federal um, food stamp program. Um, and a lot of those ideas fell by the wayside, but, the, but a lot of the asset tests um, and eligibility restrictions, hoops people have to jump through to stay eligible, a lot of those are still alive. Mm -hmm. And then in, in those public assistance uh, proposals, Kathy, also being driven by sort of a, a national Republican template? It's that's possible. I mean, I think we've heard other st other states looking at some of these types of of suggestions. Uh, I would also say that the asset test and eligibility discussion have been part of the Republican agenda in Iowa for a long time. Again, we're we we see these bills over and over again, and this year they're they're advancing. Whether they'll make it all the way through to the governor's desk, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, a related email from one of our listeners, Jim. He writes, it seems that many of the bills being passed recently and considered by the Iowa legislators are more about what the National Party, in this case the Republican Party, wants versus Iowa citizens' needs or requests. From big issues to small, a few examples, school vouchers, he writes, I do not remember a cry by Iowa citizens for this, especially in rural areas. He goes on, legalizing the sale of fireworks in Iowa. Again, I do not recall a cry by Iowan citizens for this. Is this more of a current trend, or have legislators in Iowa always pursued more of a national view of needs or local needs? A bit packed in there, Jim. Thank you very much for that. But I wonder, it raises the question of public opinion. Uh, public opinion driving this? So what, what, are your, what are your thoughts here? Please just pipe up. I think that if you were to – and there have been polls, and I'll, I'll let Katie address because the Des Moines Register does a lot of excellent polling. 
Um, a lot of times you'll see issues where you might not have a majority of Iowans supporting a particular policy, mm -hmm. but you definitely have a majority of Republicans supporting a policy. And so so therefore, you know, they're definitely playing to their base on a lot of these bills, not necessarily looking for approval from a majority of Iowans. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I, I certainly don't have polling on every issue, but if you were to look at something like um, recreational marijuana, for instance, you know, that's something that I believe a majority of Iowans approve of, but not a majority of Republicans. Um, and, you know, this session we saw Democrats put out a bill that would have legalized marijuana for recreational use. That didn't even get a subcommittee. We didn't expect it to get a subcommittee, and Republican leaders are uh, uninterested in, in any movement there. So, yeah. you know, but that being said, I will say that, you know, I think that overall, um, there's a lot to, there's a lot of focus on many of these national issues, even among Iowans, you know, just because you haven't seen something in your small Iowa town specifically doesn't mean that you're not hearing about it on the news and worrying about it. We've had several bills, you know, going back to the these ones related to transgender issues, especially where, you know, Iowans have not necessarily had any issues in their school districts, in their communities, but it's something that they're scared about because it's being talked about on a national level. So it's all it's all playing together. Yeah. I think one uh, bill that we haven't talked about, um, uh, Katarina Sestarek, uh, the, the ad addressing the opioid crisis and the governor's uh, bill against this high-powered opioid fentanyl. Right. Um, the governor has highlighted um, in her in her condition of the state address and in previous press conferences just um, the recent spike in fentanyl-related drug overdose deaths and how you, taking one counterfeit pill can kill someone, and that's been happening in Iowa. Um, these pills that are made to look like prescription pain pills, but they actually contain fentanyl. Um, and so she's proposing enhanced penalties for dealing fentanyl um, and also expanding who can distribute uh, medication that reverses overdoses. And then the, that has been combined with the attorney general's proposal um, to create a new state level crime of causing a death by manufacturing or delivering an illegal drug. Um, and so overall, um, you know, th this bill has been advancing. Um, and, you know, there's just questions being brought up about, you know, will these stiffer penalties really deter the sale of mm -hmm. fentanyl? Um, even those who support this bill say it'll probably just be a small deterrent effect, but it's also about justice for the families who are losing their loved ones. Um, and that, you know, this is just one step that they there is also, you know, Democrats are calling for looking at other ways to also um, crack down on this spike in overdose deaths. Yeah, Kathy, j jump in on that, because here, as with so many issues, a different Democratic uh, narrative here as to how we should address the, the, the crisis in overdose deaths. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think that just generally we're talking about a difference between treating uh, addiction as a health care issue or um, going after it in, through the criminal justice system. Um, you know, it, there was a, a time in Iowa where um, drug, drug crimes, um, drug sentences, uh, that we were looking to reduce nonviolent uh, offenses so as not to overload the prisons with nonviolent people who um, mostly are addicts or, you know, need treatment. And uh, it looks like with this opioid um, 
legislation that we're we're looking to go the other way with that mm-hmm. and and lean heavily on criminal justice um, as opposed to um, really trying to put a lot more resources into treatment for for people who have problems. Yeah. Um, final minute or, or two here, just to zoom out here. I guess there's no question. Katie Aiken, to you first on this, about the success of Governor Reynolds setting out here, charging through this uh, legislative session with an agenda, priorities, and uh, any way you cut it. From her perspective, it's already been a remarkably successful session, hasn't it, for the GOP? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we saw Reynolds uh, win re-election by a pretty significant margin. Uh, She also managed to get an even larger Republican majority in the state house, uh, including some Republicans that she specifically, you know, helped their primary campaigns. Um, And right off the bat, she passed her uh, school choice bill, Mm -hmm. which has been a high priority for several years uh, that hadn't been able to get through. She got that through in a matter of weeks. Um, And several other uh, priorities of hers that had not advanced previously are just zooming through the legislature. So I imagine she's feeling pretty good right now. In the final seconds, Kathy Obradovich um, at Iowa Capitol Dispatch. Any reason to believe this pace will slow or (laughs) charging into May? When is our last paid day? Yeah, this is. I hope it slows. It, it, this is killing us. But um, but we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, we have the entire state budget still to do. Yes. Um, and also probably some significant tax policy, including property tax cuts, um, complicated legislation, and um, and lawmakers have to agree on all of those things. Where the end of the session is supposed to be the end of April, yeah. and uh, I think. I speak for all of us here when we hope it's going to be somewhere <laughs> close to that. Yes. Uh, but, but it's hard to know. House and Senate and the governor all have to agree. Right. And, and even they, though they're all Republicans, they don't always agree. Yeah. Budget and tax issues not subject to uh, the funnel uh, deadlines uh, left out of this program. But we'll have them on a future program. Budget and tax uh, fans of, of discussion, don't worry about that. Right, Kathy? Yeah, it, we're definitely going to have plenty to talk about. <laughs> okay. Kathy Obradovich, Editor-in-Chief of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Uh, uh, Katie Aiken, Politics Reporter for the Des Moines Register. And Katerina Sestarek, State Government Reporter right here at IPR. Katerina, Katie, Kathy, thank you so much. Thanks, thank Ben. You. Thanks. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll look at distracted driving and the science of distracted driving. I'll be joined by Dan McGeehy of the Driving Safety Research Institute at the University of Iowa. Today's River to River, produced by Danny Gear, with help from Samantha McIntosh and Caitlin Troutman. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.